Those of you no doubt know, it is the day that we set aside here in America to recognize and celebrate dads. And I think it's important, especially in this day and time, uh, to recognize the important role that men play in the family. I know that's not a, it's not a real in vogue message today, but men are important. Women are important as well. Uh, but you know, the, the culture around us is constantly trying to shift and redefine and, and, uh, and, and change both marriage and the family as a whole. So today, I want to look at Paul's instructions to men beginning in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. It's in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And there are a lot of people today that denigrate the Bible. They look down on it. They say, you know, the Bible is, is just archaic. It's, it's chauvinistic. And some even go so far as to say that it's bad for women. But as we read Ephesians 5, I think that you'll see a very different, a different picture. Now, the biblical idea, uh, ideal for men and marriage and men as fathers uh, is a very loving ideal. And as we read this, you may notice that we are repeatedly told to love our wives. And if you're a man, you may be thinking, oh boy, talking about love, I'm, I'm romantically challenged. Uh, or maybe you just don't feel comfortable expressing your love to your wife or your kids. I once heard a woman that, uh, that was concerned. She, she asked her husband, she said, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? And he said, I told you I love you on our wedding day, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Now, men, we need, to, we need to not only tell our family that we love them, but we need to show it, too. Now, that's not to say that, you remember that old commercial, uh, Justice Jewelers, I think it was, he, he would talk about a Waka Waka Diamond. I'm not saying you have to go out and buy that Waka Waka Diamond for your wife. Listen, once you get a pulpit, you can say what you want. You don't have to buy that Waka Waka Diamond. You don't have to buy your kids the latest and greatest fad toy. It's not about the gifts. It's about you. It's a daily thing. And so as we read, I want you to consider the love of a godly man. Now look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now Paul sets rather high standard for believing men, and he describes the love that we're to have for our wives by setting forth Jesus as our goal. And the first description of this now, this type of love that we're to have is found in verse 25. He said that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, it's to be a self-sacrificing kind of love. Now, the word that's used here in Greek uh, that's translated as love, it's that word agape. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that word before. But you remember, it's a sacrificial, unconditional love. It's not a love that says, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to love you. If you do... Uh, these other things, I'm going to stop loving you. It's an unconditional love. It's not a selfish love. It's a selfless love. It's, it's looking out for the well-being of somebody else, not ourselves. 
And this is the type of love that Jesus showed to us in coming to earth and dying for us. Now, now this type of love, it seeks the well-being of somebody else without seeking a reward for itself. It's, it's, not, it's not a give-to-get type of love. And Jesus, Jesus had this kind of love, obviously, because when He came to die, He did it not because of something that was in us. The Bible says that, that, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We've, we've all turned away from God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so there's nothing within us that would cause God to say, you know what, I'm going to send my son because they deserve it. He came simply because he loved us. He didn't do it to get something from us because what can we give to God that he didn't already have? This was a selfless love. And men, that's what God is calling us to do. He calls us to put our wives and our kids before ourselves. And I guess that probably each husband here, each father here, would probably say, I would lay down my life for my kids. I'd lay down my wife for my wife. If that's the case, how much more so should we be putting our wives ahead of ourselves in, the, in our daily lives? How much more so should we be doing the smaller things? Now, this is, this is the way it's going to look on a day-to-day basis because probably none of us here is ever going to be presented with a choice, am I going to lay down my life for my family? You're just not going to be presented with that choice, most likely. But on a daily basis, we have choices that we have to make. Am I willing to do without so they can have whatever it is? Am I willing to help my wife rather than stare at people driving circles all day in race cars? Am I willing to, to, to miss some favorite activity of mine if I'm needed at home? See, Christ loves us, flaws and all, and He gave Himself up for us. And that's what God's calling us as men to do. And so first, this is a self-sacrificing kind of love. And I just want to say before we move on, men, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I'm not, I'm not saying this like I, like I have it all down pat. Uh, that's, that's not the case. I'm just trying to be faithful to the Word of God. This is something that's calling me to the same as it is to you guys. And women, I want you to know where I'm coming from. I'm not, I'm not doing this so I can give you ammo. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving, the, giving this to you so you, after you leave uh, church you can be like, oh, well, you should have heard what my pastor was saying. You, you definitely don't live up to that, and Scarlett may be saying that too. Uh, but you know what? That's not what I'm doing because there are plenty of imperfections on both sides of the marriage equation to go around. Jesus said something about uh, he who has no sin cast the first stone. Okay, we're, I'm not giving you this uh, like I'm setting myself up as a model and I'm not giving you this so you can beat somebody up with it. This is just what the Bible teaches, okay? So, so it's to be a self-sacrificing kind of love. Next, you'll notice it's to be a sanctifying kind of love. Paul goes on to say that the reason that Christ died in verses um, uh, 20, 26 and following, the, the reason that Christ died was to sanctify His church. Sanctify means to set apart. In other words, when we get saved, we get a new heart and a new way of life. The old way of living it, it ain't going to cut it. And, and that word sanctify means set apart. And so, so we are set apart from our old lifestyle. Now, obviously, none of us can sanctify like Christ does because that's a supernatural work. And so we can't press this too far. But I do think there's some carryover for us men. Both men and women in, in that marriage relationship, we should be doing everything we can to help our spouse, to help our significant other, draw closer to God. Said another way, Help, help that person become more like Christ. Don't cause obstacles. Don't hinder that person. 
Help that person. Help, help your wife in whatever way that you can. But then if you look at verses 28 and 29, we're having a, a self-sacrificing love, we're to have a sanctifying love. In, in verses 28 and 29 and, and following, he starts talking about having a sustaining love. Sustaining. Now, verse 28, Paul says, So husbands also ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now, some of you may think that you don't love your own bodies. And I'm not talking about loving the way that you look, because many of us uh, don't really care for that. That's not what's in view. What's in view here is that we take care of ourselves. It speaks of providing and sustaining for our body. So men and women, when you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. If you're cold, you cover up. If you're thirsty, you take a drink. It, well, whatever it is, if you're tired, you sleep. You sustain, you take care of, you provide for your body. And Paul says, men, husbands, that's the way you need to take care of your wife. You need to supply your wife. You need to, you need to love her enough that you sustain her. And as one author put it, the point of these verses is not self-centeredness, but self-preservation. Now, if you'll notice at the end of verse 28, he goes on to say that he who loves his own wife loves himself. And, and what he means by that, it's kind of a confusing uh, part of that verse, I think, but verse 31, I think, helps explain it. And what he does in verse 31 is he quotes back from the book of Genesis, the first, the first wedding. When God brought Adam and Eve together together in the Garden of Eden, and and you remember uh, Adam saw Eve, and he he broke out into poetry, and he he waxed poetic in in the Hebrew. It's, it's very poetic, and and this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and and all these things. And what it, what this is saying is, when men and women are married, a mystical union happens. And I'm not trying to be all spooky, but that's that that's just what happens. We become one flesh. And so Paul says, when you take care of your wife, because you're one flesh, you're actually taking care of yourself. And not only are we to care for our wives as we care for our own bodies, but Paul takes this step further. He says, don't only, don't only care for them like you care for yourself. Care for them like Christ cares for His body. And who is His body? It's us, the church, Christians. And how does He do that? He provides for our needs. He provides for many of our wants. He, he shows us love and, and grace and mercy and and loving kindness, that patience, all those things. And that's how we should be loving our wives. Now, verse 33, Paul sums up his, his teaching here. He says, Men, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself, and women, respect your husbands. So it's a woman's role to respect her husband. It's a man's role to deserve that respect. You say, okay, I think you may have gotten the wrong holiday pastor because it's not husband's day it's father's day well i want you to turn over uh, the next next chapter chapter six and verse four we're only going to read one verse out of here but i, I just want to uh, touch on a couple more duties that men have and th this is just an aside but i think it's significant that paul talks about our relationship to our spouse before our relationship to our kids it may just be his the way his mind was working that day but you know, I think there. I think it may be intentional by the Holy Spirit because if you don't have your relationship with your spouse right, you're not going to be the type of parent that you should be. But anyway, look at chapter six and verse four. He says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Your Bible may say, 
Now, don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so in the first part of verse 4, we see the first uh, another aspect of love, and it should be a soothing love. He says, don't exasperate or don't provoke your children. Now, this is not talking about teenage drama, okay? Because you can't do anything but exasperate a teenager, I've, I've decided. You know, all the times, oh, it's, boys and girls both. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about a, a good-natured teasing. You know, sometimes... Sometimes people can exasperate you, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about damaging or breaking your child's spirit. Paul gives a very similar instruction in the book of Colossians. Only there he says, don't provoke your children to wrath so that they become discouraged, or your Bible may say lose heart. It's, it's talking about our, our child's spirit. How, how, can we, how can we discourage? How can we provoke our children to wrath? Well, all kinds of ways, by being too hard on them, being harsh, uh, cruel language, impatience, um, maybe punishing them out of anger, um, setting unreasonable expectations. Sometimes parents set things up and, and set their kids up to fail instead of to succeed. Uh, showing partiality between siblings, if you have siblings, you know, there's probably somebody that's mom and dad's favorite, and if you're not that person, then it's like, ugh. Uh, and there are probably all kinds of things that we could talk about. But Paul says, fathers don't do that. Now, I think it's significant in verse 4 because it's not addressed to fathers and mothers. Now, of course, this is important for moms to follow as well, but you know, I think there are two reasons that he addresses it specifically to fathers. Number one, in that, in that culture, the father had absolute control over the family. In fact, in, in the Roman culture in which Paul was, was living and writing, a baby that was born was not considered a, a citizen until the dad recognized it as such. And so if a child was born that was deformed or something like that, or maybe the dad just didn't want it, he wouldn't even recognize it as a as a as a citizen, and they could they would leave it out exposed to the elements and, and it would die. And so when Paul is writing to this culture, I mean, they, they had the right to actually put their kids to death. That's how, that's how extreme uh, their power was. And so when Paul says to them, you know what, you need to consider your kids, that was revolutionary at the time. Today we say, well, of course, it's all about the kids. But we have to remember the culture in which he was writing. But also I think it's important, it's addressed to men, because we tend to be less maternal. When a kid falls and scratches, scrapes his knee, was he? Was who's he cry for? Almost never does he cry, "Daddy." Sometimes he, sometimes they will. Usually it's mommy. You see a big old, I mean, just a monster of a, of a football player, just a mountain of a man, and he, he wins the Super Bowl and he gets on TV. Who's he say? Hi, mom. And, and part of the reason I think is because you know. Men and women are just wired differently. We're equal, but we're different. And, you know, women tend to be more that nurturing. And men tend to be, oh, get up, you're okay. Rub some dirt on it, walk it off. And so Paul, when he's saying this, I think he's saying, you know, men, you need some extra help. You need to focus on not exasperating your kids. Don't be too hard on them. Don't expect them to be perfect. And this is especially true 
This is something we especially need to work on if our own dads didn't follow this this instruction. Because that's that's what we were raised with, and that's so that's what we default to. And so finally, if you look at the end of verse four, it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We see that godly men should have a schooling type of love. Instead of provoking our kids to wrath, we need to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In other words, dads need to take an active role in raising their kids. And that's especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. And, and there are a lot of men that check out when it comes family time. Once they get home from work, they'll you know read a paper. I guess in, in today's society, maybe uh, play on a tablet or, or their computer. They watch TV, drink a beer. The kids come, they don't have time for them. They've got other stuff to do. That's 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 not what, what we should do. We should be having an active role in raising our kids, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Discipline, or your Bible may translate that word as fear, it means to instruct. We're to instruct our kids in the way they should go. Admonition or nurture has the idea of correcting. If they do something wrong, we need to guide them in the right way. Now, one reason some parents check out, at least this is what they say, well, it's not... It's not right for parents to tell their kids what they should believe spiritually. Because if they do that, it will unfairly bias them. Well, in my humble, or maybe not so humble, but yet correct opinion, that's nonsense. That's baloney. There's a commentator by the last name of Barnes. He notes that men teach their children by example. And all, all parents do. And so the, the, the parent that doesn't pray, why are they teaching their kids? You don't need to pray. They don't go to church, why are they teaching their kids? Church isn't important. They, they don't give, why are they teaching their kids? You don't need to give. It's impossible not to teach our kids our view of God and religion. And, and as, as Barnes notes, he says, Since this is so, all that the Bible requires is that our instruction be right. We're already going to be teaching our kids. Just make it the right instruction. So how should we bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And again, this is for dads as well as moms. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago on Wednesday. You know, if it weren't for godly women, a lot of churches and a lot of families, they'd be, they'd be, in, uh, they'd be in bad shape. And well, in my studies, I came across a commentator. He listed five ideas, five things that we can do as men, as parents, to bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and he listed them. I thought they were really good, so I'll just, I'll just give you his list. First, by directly teaching our kids the doctrines and duties of religion, just like we do anything else that has value. In other words, if you want to teach your kids about something and it's really important, you don't just hope they get it by osmosis. You sit down and you say, this is how you figure your checkbook. This is how you know if somebody's trying to rip you off. This is, you know, and, and we sit down and we instruct them. Why? Because we know it has value. We want them to get it. How, how much more important are spiritual things? Sit down and instruct your kids. Second, by placing them in Sunday school where they can be taught the truth. That's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, number three, he says, is taking them, not merely sending them to church, that they may be taught in the house of God. 
Fourth man, by example, because all teaching is valueless without that. And I thought that was a great point. You can you can teach your kids, you can tell them to do one thing, but they're going to pay attention to what you're doing. And and there's that old saying, I can't I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loudly. And if you're not backing what you're saying up with your life, then uh, then your words are pretty meaningless. And number five, he said, by prayer for God's help in all our efforts and for the salvation of their souls. Whatever we do, we need to we need to we need to be praying for our kids. We need to be lifting them up to God and and praying for their salvation and and, and pray that our our efforts are meaningful. That the kids are going to get it. Man, we have a high calling in the family. Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I would say, that goes for your kids too. If, if you have them, strive to do that. Set some goals. What goals do you set? Well, figure out one thing. Don't don't come up with a whole bunch of, you know, uh, that's one reason that we all fail in our, our, uh, our New Year's resolutions. We'll make a list of 25 things we're going to do this next year. Try to make a list of one thing. Something that's attainable, something that's measurable. Say, well, what what one thing should I do? What would make the biggest difference in your relationship with your wife or your kids? Figure that out and then do it. Maybe with your wife it would be pursuing her again. Maybe, if at all possible, it would be going on a date every once in a while. Maybe it would be uh, putting your, your wife first instead of you first. Maybe with your kids to be realizing they're not perfect, so don't expect perfection. Maybe it'd be watching the, the things that you say to and around your kids. Maybe it would be taking a more active role in raising your kids. I mean, there are all kinds of, of areas, and, and I'm just throwing out a few things because we all have that that one area with our kids and with our spouse. This like, boy, this is where this is where we need the most work. Figure out that one thing and then do it. Commit to doing it. Now I talked a lot about husbands. I talked a lot about fathers. I haven't really talked about salvation, but you know, the Bible says that, that we have a heavenly father, but not all of us do. Only those who have put their faith in Christ, who have repented of their sins, they have God as their heavenly father. And he's the best example. Maybe you had a, a great dad who pointed you to the Lord. Maybe you had a, a dad who was absent or, or or abusive. Didn't give you a good picture of God. Either way, God's still the best example of what a good dad should be. He's our loving Heavenly Father. And if you've never accepted Christ, if you never repented of your sin, today's the day to do that. Wouldn't that be great on, on Father's Day to have Him become your Heavenly Father?